This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. And now, Christ in Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Thanks for joining our conversation today. We've just launched a new series titled Go Home, Finding Our Way. And each of these conversations will look at common assumptions regarding the home and its proper place in the life of uh, of all of us, both men and women in relation to the church. We've got all sorts of things swirling around these ideas. And we have a great conversation lined up for you today as we dig into the series in earnest. Hannah, I am ready to dive into this because there are so many things that we've been talking about and now we get to hash it out right here, live, well, recorded, but live. Well, we're recording it live. Right, right. right. We are live and we are right. recording. <laughs> Yeah, I so enjoyed our first uh, conversation about this because I think it gave us a chance to sort of begin to pull at the threads. There's all these um, kind of assumptions we have that are built into both the way we move through society, the way we talk to each other within church or our religious communities. And one of the first things we were kind of able to start to tug at was this idea that home is even a place you can go to, right? So even the question of go home, well, what does that even mean? Is like home a place? And, and of course, the assumption under that is that a woman's place is in the home. Um, but instead of saying, no, it isn't, there's also this question of, is home even a place? Can it be boundaried? Um, so that was a lot of fun last time to just begin to raise those questions about how we conceive of home and the work that happens in it. I like how you phrase that tugging on these ideas because that ha is how it has felt for me um, as we've talked about these things. It feels like I am being tugged in a, a new direction or to think about things in a new way. And it's it's that pull. It's almost like a little bit of a jarring, like, oh, I didn't I didn't think of it like this. And so I appreciate that tug because so often how we frame things up, it feels so normal and natural. We don't even question are there other ways to look at it? Or what are the reasons why we look at it in this way? And so I appreciate these conversations because um, there are these underlying assumptions that are forming us and very often we're not even aware what they are. So this has been good processing for me and I hope for all the listeners as well. 
Right. And I think anybody that's listened to us uh, for any length of time knows that what we do on persuasion is raise the question. Like we're not here to give you answers because most of the time we don't have them. But what we hope to do (laughs) is to reframe the question or to uh, posit it in a new way that generates conversation and discussion. And so as we have done in the past, we hope to do with this series to to bring up the, the things that we assume, the things that um, are just so established in our thinking that we don't even question them, and then raise the question and say, is this actually the right way to think about home? Is this the right way to think about the work of home? Is this the right way to think about what we're even doing um, in our relationships and in the domestic lives that we lead? I have been processing our first discussion and um, this notion that home is a place or or is it more than that? Is there is it more than just the physical location walking through my front door? And it has stirred up such good um, ideas and processes, and I've been hashing that out with with Mike. It's been so interesting to think about the the layers of it and to see it as bigger than what I had thought of it before. And that's really what I hope with these conversations is that you get a almost like a, a deeper sense that the world is more layered and it's actually more meaningful than what we had even thought. And then that's exciting to me, that there could be more than what meets the eye, that there's more to it. And in that way, it gave me a, a bigger sense of what is my calling. It's not just be at home. It's what is the home and where is it, and what does it do? And and so I hope that that's what these conversations are going to do. And I think today's conversation is going to add to that because, like you said, Hannah, we like to raise these questions and and we just toss it on out there. It's like hot potato, like here you go, people. Here's something to think about. And so I think today's conversation will do the same. Um, it, we're calling this episode homemaking, but we've got it with a little bit of a twist, like as we like to do here on persuasion. Yeah, and I think what you just touched on, this sense that we look for simplified answers, that we we do tend to think in ways that are concrete and manageable. And our hope is to actually complicate the questions a little bit to reveal the beauty and the depth of what's actually happening in these spaces. But this got me to thinking this idea of how we try to simplify and quantify um, something so that we can understand it um, made me think of this thing that circulates and it usually circulates around Mother's Day, right? So there's this kind of meme or article that goes around um, talking about the worth of maybe a person who stays at home, whether it's a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, um, and then tries to quantify what their hours and their work would be worth in the marketplace. Oh, sure. Right? Mm -hmm. So you've probably seen that. Um, But back in 2018, Salary.com came up with a figure that would adequately compensate the stay-at-home mom for her work in the home. Uh, do you have any guesses how much they suggested would be an adequate compensation? 
Like where would, would you put it? More than minimum wage, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I more than that. Well, yeah. I have no idea. Right. You, you, so, so this is the figure they came up with: a hundred and sixty-two thousand five hundred and eighty-one dollars oh, as that's a very precise a yearly a salary for a person <laughs> awesome. doing the work of home. I would like to receive that paycheck. Yes. I, I, yes. <laughs> you know, as a person who spent a lot of time exclusively devoted to home life before I started working more broadly and working from home, you know, that mm-hmm. when I would see that kind of thing circulate, it was always very gratifying. It was yes. always validating because it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, you're worth 50000 right? Or you're worth... Right. You know, sixty to seventy thousand. It was you are worth a hundred and sixty-two thousand. This is like a professional level kind right. of salary. This is so you're it's elevating the, the sense of the work. Yeah, you're like a manager mm-hmm. level, or you're a you know whatever. So it, director. Or something. Yeah, yeah, like you are established and valid as a person yes. because this is how much money you're work is worth in the marketplace. I appreciate that because as a freelancer, um, there is this very nebulous sense of like, what is my work worth? And so I'm always looking for some sort of grid that will tell me that this job is worth this much. But what you find in freelance work is that that grid is affected by a host of things. And so I have to kind of work through my own sense of like, I have these qualifications, I've had this experience, and now this work is supposedly worth this amount. And then you come up with a number and then you feel like, okay, I'm going to go with this number, but will I get paid that? And then you go through all of that feeling of, am I worth it? So these numbers, while they're kind of nice, I don't know that it totally resolves that sense or that question of, ooh, am I doing the job well or am I worth this amount? Um, it's kind of nice in the moment, but it doesn't always pan out exactly as you'd hope. Right. And you use that word worth. And I think that's what is triggering for us, why these kinds of numbers feel satisfying. Um, mm-hmm. Whether you're in that role, maybe you are exclusively at home devoting yourself to the work of making the home. Um, I, I think they give us language for worth and value. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. our society doesn't tend to value the kind of work that happens in the home, caregiving, um, yeah. you know, kind of domestic maintenance. The, I mean, even if you took it outside the home, these would be the roles of childcare providers or um, yeah. housekeepers. And those jobs in the marketplace are not valued. They are not they are. rewarded. They well. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. So I think what we're getting at here is uh, a question of value and worth. Um, and, it, and it helps us kind of feel better about something that is often undervalued and not Mm -hmm. given its worth. Um, And I think the church does this in its own way. So what society does is, no, no, you're valuable. You're worth something. In fact, here's a dollar amount. Now Mm -hmm. you know that you're valuable because we said it to you in the language of dollars. Yes. My experience Mm -hmm. in the church has been such that it 
doesn't use the language of dollars, but it extends kind of moral and ethical reward, right? Mm -hmm. So it will say, particularly to women, although I don't know that this is necessarily a gendered thing, but it will say particularly to women, um, family or home is the highest calling, right? So we don't use dollar amounts to give it worth or value, but we will rank it on kind of an ethical or moral scale as something that this is the highest, best thing you could devote yourself to. So even if you aren't going to get 160K a year, at least you are hearing from your church body that actually this is the highest thing and you should feel valued and worthwhile because we are saying that this is the highest thing that you could be doing instead of going to the marketplace and getting a job worth 160K. Right. And, you know, and rightly, there's pushback on that sometimes saying, well, if it's such a high calling, why aren't men staying home to do it? Um, which <laughs> I personally love, right? Because because it it's a conversation that is usually directed toward women. Like your your highest right. calling is the Typically. home. And, and it's really easy to see the flaw in that, to say, well, why just women? Why aren't you telling men that their highest calling is to the home? And some people will be. Um, consistent. And they will say, no, no, a man's highest calling is to husbandry and fatherhood. And so there are some Mm -hmm. voices and paradigms that attempt to be consistent. But as you know of me, it's never that easy, is it? It's never that simple. (laughs) Because when I hear these kinds of formulations and these framing, right, I get what we're trying to say. I get that both by the dollar amount and the highest calling language that we're trying to elevate something that has been in the modern West reduced to kind of a place of retreat, of consumption, of weakness. The home is not seen as significant in the secular society that we exist in. Mostly because it doesn't bring in capital, right? Right. Yeah. If we're going to define things by the dollars, then typically working, doing the work of home, building a home, doing the tasks that are related to that, you are not typically going to get a paycheck from somebody for that work. And so if it's devalued in that way, we have to work against that in another way. And I think this is where the it's almost like well here's what we have for you we're going to toss out the it's the ethical choice or the moral choice to to pursue this higher calling that's apart from the dollar value right but again i sit back and i say what does highest calling even mean yeah what do you even mean what is that Mm-hmm. by highest calling. Because when we use that language, we end up creating a paradigm by which people who perhaps are not part of a nuclear family or who are not um, married suddenly are cut out of a calling. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the structure, like they, they can't fulfill their highest value as um, a human being. So like it's only open to those people who are in the family structure of 
husband, wife, family, right. nuclear family. And, and yeah. I think that's where some of the question emerges, especially within evangelical conversations about the idolization of family. Um, I don't think we necessarily idolize it, but it, but it looks like we do. Because we use this language of highest calling for the work of home. I think we're trying to get at something, but I think we're doing it in a way that's not helpful or perhaps in itself presents more problems. Without realizing that it, it's setting up a, um, a standard or a structure that isn't open to, to all people, then um, it's almost creating more problems than the one it's trying to solve. So yes, I would agree with that. Um, and I almost see it's like that that issue of calling or value is um, it's rooted in something and we are misunderstanding where it's coming from. Almost like we, we see the problem, we see that there's a lack and yet we are trying to fix it with the wrong solution. Right. And I think the mm -hmm. word highest gives us that category of value, right? Because we're yes. looking for yep. a way to evaluate. But I think what is ironically enough, what we have to do to move forward in this kind of conversation is pivot away from parsing domestic life, parsing the roles and the functions, at least temporarily, to calling. Like, I, I think what we're really having is a conversation about vocation, that, that we're having a conversation about where do we derive worth? What are we called to do? What is the point of this, this human existence that we exist in relationships, that, that we exist both in private lives and more public lives? And, and so I think we've spent decades trying to define home right? Even the questions about gender roles and all the gender war stuff. This is a, a, really a conversation about home. But what we haven't done is gotten even underneath that to say, what are we even talking about when we talk about vocation and the work that we're called to? What does it mean to do the good work of our lives? That is a harder question to answer. And so I think that's why it's so much easier to give these other answers. The highest calling is the home. Like that, that's just so much simpler um, to back it up a notch and to say, what is your calling and what's the point? Well, now you're asking questions of like, well, what's the point of life? Like that's so far reaching and existential. It's like, how are we going to get there? Right. But, but that it will give us an answer that's more satisfying and it applies to all people. Right. And, and it allows. And so I think that that's helpful. Yeah. And, and it allows for that differentiation, right? Yes. It, yep. When you are working on principle rather than specific applications of home has to look like this or this is what it means to do the domestic work or whatever, when, when you get trapped in that application level kind of conversation, you end up with like the mommy wars. <laughs> yes. You end up with performative domesticity. You end up with legalism. No, a woman can't work outside the home. She needs to be in the home. Because, mm -hmm. because what you're missing 
is the principles behind that. And if, if like we can move past, this is what it looks like to have a good home, this checklist or these boxes, right? Yeah. Yep. If we can get to the principles behind, well, what are we even talking about with the work of home, the call to family, the call to this kind of domestic space in our life? It actually frees us from all the kind of garbage that goes on in Instagram, right? This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. <laughs> Wait, what are you saying? The garbage on Instagram. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me back up. The wonderful <laughs> world of Instagram where we are all putting up pictures of these beautiful domestic lives that we have and how we are winning at it. Isn't that what Instagram's <laughs> for? I, it must be, yes. <laughs> Maybe that's why I post a lot of pictures of coffee because otherwise I have nothing to share. <laughs> so this this idea that we will revert to what we can show or quantify or measure against some other standard or of perfection or performance, I think that's for real because uh, I was thinking through, well, in my time as a married person, what are the resources and and um, kind of like the lessons that are taught for for being a woman who is married? And most of those lessons were checklists, and they did feel a little bit like, oh, you can become this this person as if that was your calling. And I don't think I do well at those things. And so I'm always looking for, well, I want, I need meaning, like I need some drive, some call. And so I like these questions of calling, even though they feel a little bit hard to nail down, because I feel like I can get on board with that. Like, I want to know what is my life heading toward? Like, what am I trying to do um, with my life, the substance of my life? And how is that connected to home? That's something that I've never considered. And so I am so excited that we get to hash this out because I want to know that the way that God has wired me and the place that he's put me, married to Mike, we live in this space. What is the purpose of us in our realm right here? And, and so how do we sort that out? And I think you're right that a lot of the conversation that has 
happened in this space in terms of home and the varying relationships within the home, whether it's husband, wife, parent, child, um, have tended toward job or role distinction. So it's almost like there is this this kind of objective standard, this box, this kind of um, thing that you are going to place yourself in and fill, right? Mm-hmm. And and yep. whatever that shape is, you must become that. So there is, this is what it would look like to do a good job as a wife. Now you yes. must become that. This is what a well-run home looks like. Now you must become that. This is what it would look like to parent in a Christian way. Now you must become that. And so there's this idea that the person becomes subject to the concept of the role or the job or what of the home. And, And the problem that I have run into with that is how often our understanding of a well-functioning home or the job of a wife or the role of a parent is culturally and socioeconomically shaped. Oh, definitely. And we don't mean for it to be, right? We're not. No, but it just is. And I I think it would be much better to just say, oh, that is part of this definition. It is flowing from these constructs. It's better just to say, yes, it is. Um, None of us can pull ourselves out of the culture that we have been living in all of our lives. Like you just can't do it. But where it becomes distinctive or where it becomes more obvious is if you do plant yourself in another culture and you realize that they're coming at it from a completely different angle, that's why it's so helpful to talk to other people from other places to see that, wow, they're following Christ in a way that isn't bound by some of the things that I'm bound by. And is that right? Is that okay? And what does that tell me about how we are measuring ourselves against some standard? Right. And so what what I see happening practically is like this external standard of this is what it means to be a good domestic person. Mm-hmm. Um, you do the spring cleaning, you're, you have devotions with the kids every day, blah, blah, blah. And so when a person fails to do one of those things, they feel the sense of shame and even yeah. guilt for sin because I didn't perform the role. Mm-hmm. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And mm-hmm. and what you're suggesting by saying our ability to recognize how much of that is culturally bound will also give us kind of an exit from shame and guilt that is not valid. And it will also right. help us understand what shame and guilt is valid. Um, mm-hmm. So like if you mm-hmm. didn't dust the baseboards – and then you go live in a culture where there are no baseboards, you begin to understand that not dusting the baseboards can't be sin. And then there's freedom in that. Like, okay, well, if that's not my highest calling is to make sure the baseboards got dusted, then what is it? Um, That, to me, is an interesting question. So how would we sort that out? What is the vocation of home? Um, What is it if it's not this checklist, if it's not um, performing to some standard of right? Because it's not that household perfection. 
it's not like there isn't a standard, right? It's not yeah. like there aren't principles undergirding how we would live our domestic lives or even the significance and the importance of um, our domestic lives. And so for me, a lot of this has come into clarity first by understanding my vocation as an image bearer, right? So my my vocation in this earth to reflect and to behave like God, to to live in light of his character, his nature, but but more specifically, to live in a way that I am um, fruitful, I am multiplying in my sense of my influence and my capacity to bring life into the world and exercise dominion over it. So mm-hmm. Genesis 1 um, ties our kind of vocation as image bearers with this, you're going to be bringing life into the world and you're going to be exercising dominion over it. So then mm-hmm. when I begin to apply that to home, right? So my home, my my domestic space should be a place of life and flourishing and dominion. And mm-hmm. it should be a place where my vocation as an image bearer is beginning and taking root first. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people mean by highest calling, but that's a very different uh, geometry, right? Because highest really highest calling is it, like a hierarchy and you're at the top of the ladder. Yes, yes. And if you are a few rungs below that, then you've chosen something lesser um, or you aren't fulfilling the greatest thing you could do. Whereas what you are suggesting has a sense um, of grandeur and freedom to it that um, is more exciting and inspiring and kind of like, how is it will that this will look for me in how God has shaped me into the world that I'm living in? Um, so it's not so much a checklist as it is uh, embodying that and filling it and and growing in it. And I that to me is um, something that makes me want to learn and move forward, whereas the checklist makes me want to just give up. <laughs> right, right. It is. So it, you use the language of embodiment, and I think that is key here. Um, we are not performing roles. We are yeah. we are becoming image bearers in our domestic space and yeah. in relationship to our nearest neighbor. And for me, thinking of family, it's not just about like my kids and whether I'm married and whether I'm parenting, blah, blah, blah. But but essentially family is my nearest neighbors, right? So the call of Christians is to love God and to love their neighbors themselves. And the people who live in my domestic space with me are my very nearest neighbors. And so the mm. call, the vocation of homemaking with them is the call of life and dominion with my nearest neighbors and what would it look like for us to to create space for each other to flourish and to enable each other's flourishing within this space that we inhabit um Mm -hmm. and and i think that concept of home then becoming the space where you begin to live out your vocation is Mm -hmm. 
the necessary mm-hmm. tweak. So it's kind of like it's the center circle in concentric circles. So it's like your Jerusalem and then yep. Judea and then Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the earth. So that who you are and who you are called to be starts with your nearest neighbor, who if you are married is your spouse, your children, you know, if you have children. Um, and it radiates out from there and I think that's something that you won't get to if you are thinking in terms of separate spheres, like home is isolated right. from everything else, or if you're thinking in hierarchy. If you're mm-hmm. thinking of home as the highest calling, everything else is less than. That idea of the of the spheres, I, I think about how um, the people closest to you in that sphere will be touched by how you live your life, not so much if you're making your checklist or, um, but how you are becoming, um, how you are growing, that feels like a, um, I don't know, almost like an arms open wide and pulling in like, oh, these are my people. Um, it has a very human um, others focus instead of it being like this um, industrial Um, cold checklist sort of a thing. Like we're not trying to get things done and check things off a list. We are with our people and growing in terms of who we are and how we touch others and how we touch the world. That's exciting. Um, But again, there's, there's not a rule for it. So you have to be comfortable with it being less defined. And this really is the pursuit of God then, rather than the pursuit of getting things done in life. Um, that that can be a little scary Absolutely. because it isn't as defined. And I think it also means that our the boundaries around our home is not as defined as we'd like them to be sometimes. Right. Because right. it's yeah. one thing to say um, your nearest neighbor this is where your vocation plays out. This is where you are living out the call to look and act like God with the people closest to you. Um, but it's very easy to circumscribe that and like put a, um, not just a fence around that, but like a wall, build a wall around mm-hmm. that and and then mm-hmm. say, these are the only people I have responsibility to, right? right. Yep. So then I just am- these people. right. Yeah. So then I can give myself only to these people. And then I can check that off my list because I have given myself to my nearest neighbor. But the reality is that everyone in that home is also called to everyone else around them, right? Right. So the home itself is not isolated. That part of flourishing as image bearers, part of raising each other up and spurring each other onto good works means that we would also um, recognize and affirm the calling that each member of the home has to other people outside of the home too, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that my children one day are, a lot of their life is lived now in this kind of uh, domestic space, but they one day will not live with me, right? And so right. part of my preparation of them is is building in them this understanding of their responsibilities to the world at large too, not just their responsibilities to us as a nuclear family. And that means I have to model for them now 
my responsibilities to our family, my vocation beginning here, but also going out and radiating out um, beyond just this kind of lot or, a, you know, this acreage that mm-hmm. we exist in. Mm-hmm. You're, you're describing something that's more of an organic, growing, ever-changing structure um, or, or life rather than it being kind of narrowly defined and, and distinct boundaries. It, it actually has more of a sense of growing and moving and being, um, which is pretty beautiful. Um, it, it doesn't have that sense of, oh, you go home, you go to your place, and you just go be there. It's um, from your home is where you then are reaching outward, and you have all these other connections and relationships that are being built, and your influence is going out into the world. Right. And That's as you cool. do that, it may mean that in your culture, it's important to clean your baseboards. It may. (laughs) It may, right? Or it may mean in your culture that you have to testify to the prioritization of relationships over function. Yeah. And not clean them because you need to communicate that this, what is valuable and what is essential Mm -hmm. is providing Mm -hmm. the space for image bearers to flourish in their callings. Well, This conversation has been so helpful. And Hannah, I know that you've put in a lot of thought into these ideas of vocation and calling. Um, I want to direct all of our listeners to your Twitter feed because you always have such good threads going there on these topics. So this is a good start for this topic and they can hear more from you out on Twitter. But I think for today, this is all we have time for with this conversation, but that will spill into our next conversation in the series, of course. But if you haven't had a chance to listen to our intro episode, be sure you to check that out. Um, And then next week, we'll have the third installment ready for you. And do please join us in conversation. Um, As Erin said, we are on Twitter. Both of us are on there individually, but we're also on um, a joint account at Persuasion CAPC. Jump on there. Let us know what you're thinking, what kinds of questions and conversations um, these episodes prompt for you. And of course, if you are a member of the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum, you can always discuss it with us there. If you aren't a member, you can become a member for just $5 a month and join in conversations like this one um, and a whole host of other conversations that are happening um, in that space. Let's give a shout out to Jonathan Clausen. He is our producer for Persuasion and all the other shows in the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can find all the shows at ChristandPopCulture.com. You can go to iTunes and search for Christ and Pop Culture there. However you listen to the shows, they're out there for you to find. And when you're out there, we always love ratings, reviews, comments, give us some feedback. All of that chatter helps other people to find us too. And we do appreciate that you are listening to Persuasion and we will catch you next Next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at Christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode is brought to you in part 
by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bao's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bao's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.